Good morning. Come on, everybody. Good morning, church. Yeah, excited for a little chili cookout this morning. It's great to be here with you today. If you are new to High Point, we're so glad that you're here, first and foremost. Uh, we're thrilled to have uh, any guests with us this morning. We are having a little bit of a chili cookout. I know there are volunteers still getting things uh, ready outside and ready for you. It's going to be a great moment after service, so stick around. Um, if you have never seen the original Karate Kid, you've got some work to do. Uh, I mentioned it last week. It was literally on sale uh, on iTunes. It was like the Lord was moving on our behalf. All the Karate Kid trilogy was on sale just for you so you could get up to speed and be able to follow along with the series. We're in a moment right now where we're teaching in a series called Sweep the Leg. It's simply a fun way of saying that the devil has some cheap shots, that he loves to throw your way. And every single person in here, whether you're in high school, middle school, college student, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whatever your stage of life, all of you have fallen prey to the enemy throwing cheap shots your way. So what do we do about it? The series that we're in right now is to not only make you aware, but to teach you and I how to live the way Jesus lived, the way Jesus modeled, the way that the epistles and the gospels teach us to live. How we can live above and beyond the enemy's cheap shots. So you don't have to have your leg swept time and time and time again. The devil doesn't know any new tricks. I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but it's worth stating that he uses the same tactics and the same silly crane kick move over and over again to knock you and I down in our relationships, at work, with money, with this, with that, to erode your trust in Jesus, to erode your trust in God, to erode your faith. And if he can get a hold of your faith, and maybe he hasn't actually gotten you uh, to a place where you are, 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 are an atheist per se, Maybe he's gotten you so discouraged or so depressed or so down that your faith is just more or less unfruitful or it feels useless. That's what our series is about, how to overcome that. Let's pray as we get into the text this morning. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for you, Lord. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus, who died on a cross for our sins, that we may have life, not in our own strength and not in our own ability, but by looking to you, the one who accomplished what we could never accomplish. You lived a perfect life. You took the penalty for our sin. You died the death that we deserve, and you rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and victorious over death and you give us hope hope everlasting father we thank you and lord we also pray this morning uh lord for our mission team that's been in poland uh, god we pray for davis who's been overseas or one of our campus ministers and we just thank you for the fruitful labor that has been taking place god uh, with with people who Lord, we don't even speak the same language with, but we thank you, Jesus, God, that who you are is not bound by time or place or skin color or language. 
You have the good news. You are the good news for everyone. We thank you this morning. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Timothy. And I want to encourage you to do something, even as you're scrolling on your phone. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to begin to invite you to do something and even challenge you to do something that I've never asked you to do before. I want to ask you, or I'm going to ask you, to start bringing an actual Bible with you to church. I've been talking with some of you, several leaders here in the church, and one of the things that I know uh, is missing that, that I had as a child growing up and as a student growing up is that I would always bring a notebook and a Bible with me to church. In our technologically advanced age, there's nothing wrong with using your phone. But here's what I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. That if you will take the time to actually take a pen and write on some paper what you are hearing in this message and in the messages from weeks past and the weeks coming, it may not be a message that speaks to you in the moment, but how easy is it for you to pull a notebook off of your shelf and begin to flip through pages and see different things jumping off the pages at you. I also happen to know that if you will take a pen and begin to write some notes down, your ability to retain the message is that much higher than simply scrolling on your phone. Why don't you start bringing a pen or use the pen in your seat? Bring a notebook and bring a Bible and start flipping through that thing and getting used to it instead of relying so much on technology. Can we start doing that? You think that's something we can do? It's something I think we can do. I'm even going to read from a paper Bible this morning because I'm committed to this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. Are you ready, church? You can read along on the screen behind me. Here is a trustworthy saying, Paul writes. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. We've been reading through 1 Timothy as a church, teaching through it. The, the, the young church in the city of Ephesus, one of the, most, the, the major city in Asia at this time. There are more different worldviews and ideas and religions. Artemis, the, literally the temple to Artemis is one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. That's in this city where this letter is being written to. The temple of Artemis. It was jaw-dropping. It was mesmerizing. But there's more different God worship happening. And the reason for this letter is that there are false teachers who've risen up inside the church and they're teaching things that just simply aren't true. And so when we speak of cheap shots or sweeping the leg type moments... Well, we have things that are being taught that aren't true. That's one of the things that Satan loves to do 
to sow discord and disunity and confusion, to set a trap for people. But then one of the just general principles that Satan loves to use is to simply exploit a lack of godly, good leadership. So we see Paul writing and saying, hey, look, here's what you need to begin looking for. Here are the things that you need to begin to develop in the leaders there at Ephesus. Here are a couple of the qualities. Here's a nice good list with 14 things on it. Now, to be fair, this text, which I'm going to open up and apply to everybody here in just a moment, but it was specifically written for, for people who are aspiring elders in the church. And can I just say this? It's worth noting that when you aspire to godly leadership, the scriptures tell us that it's a noble thing. And sometimes we look at leadership as if it's this grunt work or the, the weight of it is so heavy or who would ever want to do that. But when you desire to grow as a leader in God's house, you need to know something. You are desiring a noble thing. That is a great thing. We need men and we need women who are hungry to grow as leaders in God's house. Because we suffer as a culture then and now from good, godly, wholesome leaders who will man up or woman up, so to speak, and lead with a measure of conviction. Can anybody say amen to that? We need godly leaders. Now this text is written specifically to men. But did you hear anything in there? Even if you never become a recognized, deputized, official elder in a church, is there any quality in that list that I just read that you and I wouldn't want to aspire to? In literally just the daily ebb and flow of life in your church or in your family or at work? No. These are great qualities that all of us should be aspiring towards. Desiring to lead is a great thing. It's worth noting that we are obsessed as a culture with leadership. I have literally like 47 books right now that's waiting for me to read. Most of them are on leadership. I love to read, number one, but number two, I mean, Amy, my wife Amy will tell you, in our kitchen alone, there is a stack, we try to hide it from everyone, but there is a stack probably up to about my knee, that's not a joke, of just books and books, and then when you get up, if you happen to even catch a glimpse before the door is shut in your face towards our bedroom, there's a bookshelf in there next to my bed, and on it is literally just books falling off of books falling off of books. I love to read. Today alone, four books on leadership, on average, have been published. Every single day in the United States, on average, four books on leadership are published. In 2015 alone, by October 31st, 1,246 books had been published by the month that we're in right now that had leadership in the title. 
1,246, and we hadn't even gotten to the end of the year. So when we talk about leadership, we are inundated with leadership. Leadership ideas, leadership development, leadership principles. And when I read books on leadership, the, the overwhelming majority of leadership is bent towards you and I growing in leadership competency. Meaning that you and I would grow in a skill set that would make us better equipped to lead. Now, leaders need competency. I've been in places where I did not know what to do or how to do it. We've got to grow in how we lead, understand this. But the vast majority of leaders who burn out, CEOs, church leaders and church pastors, elders in the church, deacons in the church, people ministering and attending a church, they are not destroying their families and destroying their businesses or destroying a church because of a lack of competency. They're destroying things because of a lack of character. When we talk about leadership and when Paul writes about the requirements of leadership, I don't believe that he is saying that these are the only things that you should ever aspire to as a young leader or a new leader or an old leader. But that these are the very things that are foundational to good and great and godly leadership. Godly leadership is rooted not in competency, but in character. Once you can settle that in your heart and soul, well, then you can begin to grow and aspire towards greater competencies, can we not? But who wants a leader who has risen by gifting and their gifting has outpaced their actual character? And if you've ever heard the leadership-ism, that character will take you farther than talent ever will. It's because it's true. A lack of character will send you tailspinning faster than a lack of competency ever can. We see this. We see this in high schools. We see the leadership tensions on, literally on a football team. You can see it in businesses and in churches. And the fallout is deep. The fallout is swift when people who should have character but don't are elevated to places of leadership. And then we find out later that character was simply never there. That's why Paul says, hey, would you start with this? This is what you need to develop, Timothy, young Timothy. They need to be above reproach. Meaning that your life would be led in such a way that people wouldn't be able to, ha be able to make accusations about you. And if they did, it wouldn't really stick. That you'd be faithful to your wives and family. But let's broaden it out and maybe just say that, hey, wouldn't it be great for everyone to be faithful to each other, like your spouse? This doesn't have to be just rooted in a man right here. Temperate, meaning that you'd avoid excess. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Now, you've heard me say a dozen times or more, having a drink of wine or a beer or whatever your flavor of the week is, is not a sin. The Bible does not teach that. 
But how many of us talk about having a bad day and the best thing that we can think about is getting home to our bottle of wine or our big beer that will somehow wash our problems away? Doesn't work that way. And when we become so obsessed with this solving how we feel, we may not have a drunkenness issue, but I promise you, you certainly have a trust issue. There is an excessiveness where we're leaning towards a certain way. Your good day and bad day should not be determined on whether or not you got a a glass of wine at the end of the day. Are you with me, church? Not violent, but gentle. By the way, this word here, violent, is... Not violent in the sense that you just be hitting people around you all the time, but that you're angry. Don't be angry. Don't be filled with wrath. Be gentle. Do you have an anger issue? Are you just mad? Are you bitter? Are you raging inside? To grow in leadership means you've got to deal with that and begin to grow in gentleness, that you wouldn't be quarrelsome. In other words, you wouldn't be starting fights, picking fights, or be drawn into fights. Get rid of that nonsense. Social media is the greatest trap for people fighting about things. No one has ever had a fight on social media and walked away and said, man, I am so glad that happened. I've changed my mind now. No one does that. You don't ever have your mind changed because of a fight on social media. You dig your heels in even more. You might, however, have a shift in your heart by having coffee with somebody and having a heart-to-heart and an eye-to-eye moment where someone actually talks to you and values who you are. You wouldn't be a lover of money. wouldn't be obsessed with how much money you have, don't have. Your days wouldn't be rising and falling and how good of a day you're having based on your bank account. Uh oh. Preaching to some folks, aren't I? Preaching to myself. That you'd manage your family in a way that deserves respect. Not, you're not going to be perfect, but that you'd lead it well. Shouldn't be a recent convert, because you, you might become prideful. You should have a great reputation with unbelievers. You know what's missing is talent from this list gifting charisma none of these things are basic fundamental foundational qualities required for leading in god's church none of them are you know what is also amazing is that this list well i could take i could preach on every single item on this list the reality is if we really take a deep breath and back off of it for a minute there's nothing on this list where the the bar is set so high that you're thinking to yourself, my God, how can I ever do that? No, it's like, hey, like, would you love people well? Don't be angry all the time. Love your family, love your kids, don't love money, don't get drunk. And you know what? You too can lead in the church. It's like, don't be half crazy and don't be a jerk and you can be a great leader in God's house. The, the list is not so exhaustive or so high that it's unattainable. These are not unattainable qualities for a man or woman to, attain, to aspire to. And yet we find ourselves time and time again 
void of leadership. Why? We won't take the time to grow in godly character. We just don't want to do it. We'd rather somebody else do it, somebody else lead, and somebody else put in the time and effort and work that you can benefit from. Imagine if you could sit back and let somebody else go to the gym for you. Oh, yeah, baby. Absolutely. I would take it every time and twice on Tuesday. Right? But who wants to put that work in? But we need to. The church needs us to. God's bride needs you and I to lead to grow in leadership, and by the way, when you actually lace up your shoes and decide to start growing as a young leader in God's house, it's a noble thing, and it is worthy of honor. So how do you know if your character is actually suffering? Let's not talk just a minute about growing in it. How do you know if your character is taking a hit? Because one of the things, church, that, that gets us trapped, number one, is waiting for somebody else to do all the heavy lifting. But secondly, is that our legs are getting swept out from under us and we don't realize that we are suffering from a lack of character. Your character's taking a hit. So if you have a pen or if you are taking notes, I have several things for you to write down today for you to self-examine your own heart to look and see if you are struggling with godly character. And then we've got a couple little things before we go eat some chili on what you can do about it. Are you ready? How to know if your character is suffering. There's a gap between your private life and your public life. Uh-oh. And you hear me rail on social media a lot. And I'm going to continue doing that today. I love social media. I mean, I'm on it. I post all the time. Hear me. It has its place. But what social media has, has done is it, 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 doesn't, it hasn't created a problem. That's the, that's the thing that we think. We think social media has created this problem of public versus private life. But the reality is it's only exposed what was already in our hearts. It's only exposed what was already there which is that we have a tendency to try to show the world an image of something that isn't being upheld in the privacy of our homes. Meaning we can talk God, we can talk Christian, we can worship right, we can know the words, we can raise our hands, we can know what the Bible says in and out. But in the privacy of our home, when no one is watching, we are not living the way that we are talking. It's like the Instagram photo that you took 47 times to get the picture just right, to get the coloring and the shading just right, to get this in focus and that out of focus, and that's cut this way and looking that way, and the little Instagram emoji thing up in the top left, and you got it perfect, and now you can get your boomerang going, and you know, you're jumping back and forth, and it's fantastic, and it's everything you ever wanted anyone to ever see about you. You. Only what they don't know is that it took you an hour and a half to get it. You know I'm right. That's why we're laughing. 
you know I'm right. And yet here we are, we're putting forth a picture and everyone gets to look at it and say, look at their life. They've got it all together. No, you don't. I don't either. But when we pretend that we do, now you have attention because you have a lie that you have to continue to perpetuate and uphold or you get to actually be honest and real with where you truly are. Look at the book of John for a minute. One of Jesus' 12 disciples. This guy walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He saw Jesus raise the dead. Can you fathom it? Can you imagine it? Jesus preaching, thundering away. Jesus walking on water. Healing the sick, driving out demons. Healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And a woman comes to him and she breaks open a, an expensive bottle of perfume to anoint Jesus' feet because she knows in her heart who this Jesus is. And Judas says, why wasn't this perfume sold? Chapter 12, verse 6. Why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, he's presenting something that's different than what's really on the inside. Oh, we love to do this, don't we? We love to play church and then go home and live like hell on Friday night or Saturday night or with your significant other or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever. We just choose to live departed from this image that we've presented. It's two different things. That's a character issue. Number two, you're hiding things, which goes right along with number one. Compromise always leads to cover-ups. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. You know what they did? Their first instinct was to hide and to cover up their nakedness with leaves. When you're suffering from a character deficit, you will do anything to hide and cover it up. That means that with your phone, all of a sudden, you, you, you know, you've changed the password on your phone and you, you blame it on work and you needed to change it for work or you needed to change it because of the kids. And the reality is you didn't want your spouse to pick up your phone and swipe and unlock it and be surprised by what she's going to find or what your husband is going to find. You see, when we struggle with character, you have to hide things and you've got to protect things. And so, you, you know, you, you fudge the number on the spreadsheet or you adjust your taxes just enough. I can throw these receipts probably into this category and you know what? Nobody will know. And maybe they never will, but God will. And so your character begins to take a hit. How do you know if your character is suffering? Well... And who you are in one place 
Your public image doesn't match your private image. And when you're beginning to hide things and cover things up, your character begins to suffer. Number three, you don't follow through on what you said. When your words can no longer be trusted, you say you're going to do something, but you never do it. Everybody knows somebody that when they commit to doing something, in the, your eyes want to roll into the back of your head about 19 times. And you say to yourself, when hell freezes over, are you going to do that? But they committed, didn't they? Oh, I'm going to be there. And you're like, no, you're not. You know what? I'm going to, all this and all that. And you've heard it a thousand times. Well, the more we do this over and over again, your character suffers from it. When your word is no longer your word. Now, hear me. I'm not hitting any of the specific items that Paul writes about in Timothy chapter 3. What I'm giving you here are general principles for growing in character that will impact every single one of the things on that list. You guys with me this morning? Does this make sense? I want to make sure that you understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because you and I need to grow in godly leadership. This church needs more leaders. This church needs more men and women to stand up, rise up with conviction and character, and begin to lead. We justify bad actions and decisions. Everybody struggles with justifying things. We all do. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's small. Right? I mean, I know I said I'm going to be there in 20 minutes, even though I know I can't be there in 25. But I said I'd be there in 10 because, well, it makes everybody feel better. I'll be there in 10. No, you're not. You are 30 minutes away. It, you have always been 30 minutes away. Your house is 30 minutes away. You cannot be there in 10 minutes. That, my friends, that is a lie. It may feel like a small lie because who does it really hurt? But understand, when we justify things, your character begins to take a hit. You're suffering from a lack of character. Your life is all about you. Actually, let me back this up. Genesis 3.12 says this. I, I love this. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Not because I, 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 I like put it on the mirror and confess it. Because it's so true of humanity. When God asks Adam what he's done in the garden, Adam's response is, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The blame game. And he justifies why he did what he did. That is a character, that is a lack of character. Your life is all about you. A self-absorbed life will always lead to a character deficit. I don't even need to unpack that. When the orbit of your life is all about you, you're going to struggle with having godly character. Which is one of the reasons, ladies and gentlemen, if you have children here, you should never make your whole world revolve around your kids. Because they will never have the opportunity to develop godly character if the world orbits around their whims, their desires, and their every wish. 
That is one of the greatest recipes for having a child who will not obey you, who will not respect you, and ultimately may not even obey God because they have no respect or character to stand on. You guys with me? So how do we overcome these things? We've listed five. There's a gap between your private life and public life. You're hiding things, number two. You don't follow through on what you've said. You justify bad actions and decisions, number four. And then number five, your life is all about you. How on earth do we get beyond these things? The trap of character deficits. What do we do? I have great news. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and my sin, he died for the lack of character that you and I would have. He died for the lack of godly living that you and I would demonstrate. The sin in our life. And let's call it what it is. Sin. Thank God he did that. He did what you and I could not do. But there was an amazing thing that he, he tells his disciples, it's better for you that I go. Which is a mind-blowing statement that it's better for Jesus, who is with his twelve, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the best messages you've ever heard in your entire life. It's better for you that I go, because when I go, I will send the helper to you. The helper being the Holy Spirit. And it will give you the power to live in ways that you cannot live in your own strength. And in your own ability and in your own character. It's better for you. And so when you profess faith in Jesus and the Spirit of God fills you and begins to change you. It's not that you just do different, you become different. It's not that I'm giving you a list of actions. Character is not just about doing something. It's about becoming something. And the gospel, when it gets inside of you, when Jesus and the Holy Spirit wrecks the inside of you and you realize, I need a Savior, whether you are in high school, I don't care how old you are, young or old. When the reality of that gets a hold of your heart. It's not about a set of actions. It's about becoming who God has always wanted you to become. And out of that becoming, you start to do different things. So here's what we do. After you've put your faith in Jesus, you've got to take responsibility. Number one, if you want to develop godly character own it and take responsibility for where you actually are. Proverbs 28, 13 says that whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You got to own your stuff. People love to change jobs. They love to change uh, spouses, change cities. They love to change churches. And if you change all those things, but your character never changes, guess what? You're going to be back where you started every single time, again and again and again. Changing the outside circumstances will not change the lack of character that you live with and demonstrate on the inside. Which means you've got to own your junk, you've got to confess your sin, and you've got to take that stuff to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I am struggling in this area. I have lack in this area. I keep looking at things on that computer and I don't want to. 
I keep talking like this. I, I keep walking in anger. Every time my kid does this, I slip into the, the incredible Hulk and I need to walk in more gentleness. Would you help me? And you bring it to the cross. Jesus, would you help? Jesus, would you be the Lord of this area? And you keep doing it. And I don't care how you feel. And I don't care if, it, if you see immediate progress. You do it, and then you do it again. And then you do it again. And you, be, and you develop this well-worn path of going to the cross of Jesus Christ and laying your sin down before Him and inviting Him into your places of lack. But you've got to start with taking responsibility for it. People think there's a little Jesus fairy who flutters around and just sprinkles dust around to just somehow make your life better. You attend a church as if somehow that just transforms you because you attended something. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a chicken nugget. Any more than going to a church somehow makes you holy. <laughs> Chick-fil-A or Wendy's, whatever. You're with me. That was not in my notes. That was free for everybody sitting here. That was free for you today. Only way to grow in character is to take responsibility for the areas where you're lacking. Number two, put yourself first when it comes to growth. It's one of the few times I get to tell you that you can, I don't dare say use this word, but be selfish. And that you have to guard time so that you can grow. And more often than not, everything else creeps into it. But Jesus, what did he do? He got up early in the morning and the thought of this for some of you, you're like, how can I possibly do it? I'm working 19 jobs and I've got kids and I'm trying to get them out the door for school and, and I'm helping with their homework and I, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and then I'm paying bills. I get it. And yet I know if I will take time to spend it with Jesus Christ, in a time of prayer, even if it's five minutes or ten minutes, and read the Word and let the Word of God center me, my character will be ready for the day. And all the other things that I'm trying to do, we think to ourselves, I can't afford to do this. You can't afford not to. Do you understand what I'm saying? You cannot afford not to. The Bereans in, in uh, where we're at, Acts 17, I love this. The Bereans, the Berean Jews were of what more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every single day. Those two things, that they were eager for more of God and that they were eager to get to the word. And the Bible says that those two qualities alone have set them apart and they have noble character because of it. If you and I really want to be hungry, if we want hunger for God to move in our church and in your life, You've got to be hungry for the scriptures and hungry for more of God. I can't give that to you. You've got to take responsibility for it. You've got to own your junk. You've got to guard time with Jesus Christ and fight for it. You've got to fight for it. I can't fight that for you. You've got to fight for it because you are desperate for more of God in your family, in your church, at work, with your child. 
I need more of Jesus in my parenting. I got up this morning preparing this own message and I thought, oh my God, I need you more. I need to be a better dad. How am I going to do this, Lord, without you? I need you, Jesus. I need you to teach me. I don't need 1,246 books on it. I need you first. And lastly, we need to be honest. They all fit together. Someone invited me to a conference a couple years ago. invited me to a conference and it was one of those conversations that happened over text message and I'm sure I was doing a hundred other things, I don't know. And I committed to it. They even said, man, I'll buy your tickets to this. I was like, okay, cool. Six months later, I'm sitting at my kitchen table in my pajamas on a Saturday. And I get a text message that says, hey, I got our tickets. Here's the location. Here's where our seats. I'll see you in just a few minutes. I didn't even know what they were talking about. Literally. I was so confused. I thought they were texting the wrong person. I'm looking, I'm looking. So I start scrolling and scrolling and scrolling through the text. And then I find it. Upstairs with the speed of a cheetah. And I changed and I got in my car and it, it didn't matter. There was no way I was going to make it. This is Atlanta. There was no way I was going to make it. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking through how I can frame this in a way that will make me look better than I actually look or than I actually am. I finally had to just call and say, I, I blew it. I forgot. The reality was, it was a reflection of more than just that moment, but the madness that had been my life with church planning and kids and all the things. And when people would say, how are you doing? I'd say, I'm good. But your reality was, I wasn't good wasn't in a good spot. Hey, how's your prayer life? Oh, it's fine. No, it wasn't. Oh, you're reading the Bible. How's your, how's your word time? Oh, it's good. No, it wasn't. Life felt like I was spinning out of control, to be really honest. And when you want to grow in character, you've got to be honest with where you are. When God came looking for Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? He knew where they were. He wanted a place of vulnerability between him and between the people that he's leading, the people that he's master of, that he's God of, the people that he's caring for. Where are you? This wasn't an actual location issue as if God had misplaced his creation. Where are you, God? Here's where I am. I'm having a tough time. I blew it over here. Would you help me? 
And we have these moments of honesty. And Jesus had one. And I love this story in Mark chapter 5 with the, with the woman with the issue of blood who's been bleeding for years and years. And the Bible says she spent all that she had to try to get better. And nothing had helped. And nothing had made her right. And she heard that Jesus was walking down the street. And she thought, well, maybe I'll give it one last chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this crowd and I'm going to reach out and I'm going to touch him. And so that's exactly what she did. She, she wiggles her way into the crowd and Jesus is being pressed upon on all sides by people. And this woman reaches out and she touches him. And the scriptures say that she was healed. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He stops and he turns around and he says, who touched me? And his disciples say, Jesus, look at this crowd. Like, what are you thinking, Jesus? And Jesus says, who touched me? Jesus knew who touched him. Jesus knew everything that wasn't right. He knew who had just extended their hand. He knew who was broken. He knew who was hopeless. He knew who was empty. But he was drawing out a place of honesty. And it says that the woman came forward and it says she told him the whole story. Meaning she had a moment where she was really honest and she brought it all before the King of Kings. And the Prince of Peace, she brought the whole story to him. She didn't hold anything back. She gave it all. She was honest. If you want to grow in godly character, in the pursuit of leadership, which is a noble thing, you and I have to take responsibility for our sin and bring it to the cross. We need to guard our time with Jesus more than anything else and get time with him so that you can grow. And then lastly, you've got to be honest, not only with Jesus, but with the people around you, with how you're doing and where you are. You've got to be honest. Where are you? Where are you at? Father, we thank you this morning that you do not leave us where you find us, where you have found us, Lord. You're constantly moving in our hearts and in our lives. You're growing us, God. You're convicting us. You're shaping us and transforming us. God, you're, you're at work. Sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't. God, I think this is one of those mornings where we feel your presence knocking on the door of our hearts. God, it's our desire to become more like you. To live godly lives before you. If you're sitting here this morning and you just, there are things you know you've got to turn away from, you've got to take responsibility for. And right where you're sitting, say, Father, I give this to you.
want you to name it to him. Name whatever it is that you're dealing with and give it to God right now. Say, Father, I turn from this. I leave this at the foot of the cross. And I choose not to pick it back up. I am turning from my sin. And I turn to you, my Savior King. Help me to grow. This is where I am, Lord. This is where I'm struggling with. Would you help me, Jesus? prayer and you mean it. I believe that the Spirit of God is literally meeting you right where you are today. Lord, bless this church and these people. Bless us. Lord, that we would be a church set apart for your glory. God, running after you, pursuing you, with a heart that desires to become more like you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, I know we're, we're going to make a hard shift here in just a moment. And the danger is that you have a minute, moment of ministry right now and that you would short-circuit it by running out real quick. And I want to invite you to not do that but in fact to stick around and engage in a relationship with somebody, literally over a bowl of chili. That you talk about where you're really at. That you pray for one another if you need prayer. That you get connected with somebody, set up a coffee if you need to get coffee. And that you'd become the leader that God's destined you to become.